Hi there, welcome to Healthcare's Missing Link, a podcast where we help you uncover the things that are hidden to stop you from achieving your best health. I'm Dr. Mark Sherwood, your host today, and my pleasure today to welcome a, a friend who I've grown to admire and respect and honor, Dr. Felice Gersh. Felice, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Oh, Mark, it's my pleasure. I'm just thrilled to have this opportunity to join you today. What's good? So, Felice, I've got your uh, bio here, and I, I think it deserves and is worthy of reading. You are a board-certified OBGYN, integrative medicine. You taught at the, as assistant clinical professor at Keck USC School of Medicine for 12 years. You are the founder and director of Integrated Medical Group there in Irvine, California. Um, I will vouch for this. You are a globally recognized expert in women's health. You do speak regularly at conferences around the world, and I have heard you speak a couple of times. Outstanding, ladies and gentlemen. She's a best-selling author of PCOS SOS. I have that in my office, and as some of you know, you have copies of that in your hands from our offices as well. Her newest book, PCOS Fertility Fast Track, is out there. We'll talk a little bit about that today and how to get your hands on that. And as I understand, she has a third one in the works and many other things. So, um, man, let's dive right in. Um, I guess. First question is, um, what drove you to, to write books and become sort of this physician, public speech speaker, teacher person? Well, going way back, I've always loved being a teacher. When I was in high school, I did tutoring. So it was just, I guess, embedded in my genes that I, I love to pass on information. And after I became um I would say established and I'd had my kids and I had a little bit more free time. I started and I call this the dark phase of my life. Actually, I was recruited by big pharma. So they, um, they saw me as a talent and I, of course I was teaching, but I was doing it one-on-one as part of my um, residency training with the residents over at USC when I was teaching them how to do surgery. But in terms of speaking in, front of large audiences, I think they just thought, you know, I, we like talking to her. And I got recruited by Big Pharma. And I started speaking about the many drugs that kept coming down the pipeline with women in mind, birth control pills, drugs for osteoporosis and migraines and menopause. There, it seemed to be unstoppable for pain, like osteoarthritis, like most medical conditions heavily involve females. And I became a speaker and I got to travel all over the country. And I really felt that this was a mission. I was educating doctors on how to use the latest, greatest pharmaceuticals. And then what happened, it was something of an epiphany, but it was kind of growing to that point because I lived through what I would call the heyday of big pharma. I was there as every new drug came out and I wanted to be cutting edge. I wanted to help people. So I was what they would call an early adapter. So I would use every drug as soon as it came out. So I also became very aware of all the complications and side effects. And I reported them to the companies like, there's a problem with this drug. I'm seeing such and such, but nothing ever happened. I mean, eventually many of those drugs got black box warnings or got taken off the market. And I saw the same in the surgical world because 
I was using every new device, surgical device, and I was using Morselator. I used the Eshure and I used various forms of lasers. And some of them, they, there were problems with different sealing devices. I mean, I used all these different pieces of surgical equipment and I reported them. Many of them ultimately came off the market, the meshes, the Eshures, the Morselators. But I, years before that, I reported problems. So I was getting a little jaded. And, and, and then I was asked to be part of a little group of doctors. I was the only clinician because the others were purely academics. They were, you know, medical school full-time teachers and researchers. And we went and they flew us to Boston and put us up in five-star hotel and wine and dine. And we had meetings for the whole weekend and talked about some new medications. They asked me to write a whole big report. They were going to have a CME, like um, sort of an insert in one of the throwaway medical journals. And then to my shock, they sent me a report that I did not author. It was not what I sent them. It was quite different and it really wasn't my opinion. And they asked me just to sign it, like I had written it. And I said, no, I can't do this. And, And that's when I realized that they were, they had medical writers, science writers. They were writing not just for me, they were writing for everyone. And then it's like, wait a minute, this, this is really not about education. This is a PR piece. I mean, purely promotional. And I started thinking more and more about a lot of the drugs that I've been using. And I started really being, I would say, open-minded in terms of more and more, but I'd seen this coming. This was sort of like the end, the end of the road. And I refused to sign it. And that was the end of the road for talking for big pharma. No one, I was blackballed, clearly. Nobody ever, ever came and asked me from any other pharmaceutical company to ever speak for them. And it was about the same time that I stopped doing obstetrics. After 25 years, I, I just had to get some sleep. It was harming my health and I was growing into doing other things. But after I gave up obstetrics, maybe I had more time, more sleep, and I started even doing a deeper dive into what I was prescribing. I also felt lost because without doing obstetrics, I thought all I have left is surgery, you know, taking out organs. And the pharmaceuticals, I'd already been pretty jaded. And I had the pharmaceutical reps come through my office and show me the studies that they used to get approved by the FDA. And I found almost no deviation between their results, and the placebo. But of course, the array of side effects were quite different. Mm -hmm. That's when I went on my personal journey and did the fellowship in integrative medicine for two years to because I had to get tools. So where does this all lead to? Once I did all this, and I had what I call an expanded therapeutic toolbox, I, I understood so much better how to help my patients. And I started doing so much of my own research I became a PubMed addict and I was Googling on PubMed and Google Scholar and researching. And that's when I became really acutely aware of the lack of knowledge that I had and the sort of blind faith that I had at one time in my life. And I felt it's my mission now to go and educate other doctors I've wanted to shortcut the route. You know, mine was a long journey. It took me years to deal with all of this, to, to, you know, understand, to learn. I wanted to like make this quicker for other doctors. So that's when it became part of my mission to go and educate about alternative complementary ways, not abandoning all of what I had learned, surgery, 
and pharmaceuticals, but to understand that there are better ways to deal with chronic conditions, both pre, you know, preactively, you know, being preventive, and also when you have to be reactive, that, that there are much better ways to help the body to reestablish a homeostatic state of wellness than what we were doing and what most doctors are doing. So that's really where I'm at now is to try to have the biggest impact around the world now to help doctors to really see what it took me so long to actually see and then implement in my own practice. Well, I just learned a few things about you that I did not know, and that's quite a journey. Um, and I've got to ask you, and you know, we're friends, of course, did, did, looking back on that, I mean, did you feel, I mean, I can't imagine the um, shock and horror to see something there that you did not author and getting the um, mm-hmm. encouragement to, okay, did you, maybe this is not the right word, I don't want to put one in there, but did you feel betrayed or maybe used during that time? A hundred percent. I mean, I felt bought, you know, that's been used. I mean, that word bought, you know, and then it really made me think back about how I had been bought, that Mm. the big pharma would come to my office and bring me drug samples and gifts. I mean, and I thought, well, I'm prescribing this drug because I think it's really the best for my patients. I really believe that. I didn't think about the subtle ways that they had studied psychology to make people feel indebted to them without even realizing it. You know, I had to take more psychology courses that they had already done, you know, that you give gifts. I mean, now they're illegal and they've come up with other ways to kind of work around it. But um, I was given like what they gave everyone pens and pads and sticky notes, but it went way beyond that. I have to tell, you know, this is the truth. I was given massages, tickets, so many tickets to Disneyland, Knott's Mm. Berry Farm, Universal Studios, which are all Southern California here, than I could even use. That's how many I had. I was given tickets to shows, brunches. I mean, this is, okay, I was, then that I was recruited to be on medical advisory committees of pharmaceutical companies. That gave me higher status, okay, because I was a speaker and I was, so I got free trips. I was offered so many vacations that I couldn't even take them because I was raising four kids, but I did take some of them. I, I stayed at Del Coronado Hotel, beautiful hotel, five-star hotels. And I, was, I went to the, the Four Seasons I stayed at in Las Vegas where they showed, they, I got tickets to Chicago. I got uh, first-class tickets to um, Puerto Rico where I was taken on rainforest tours I this is, I mean, I, Tucson, and I could have gone to farm many more. And this is what was going on in those days. And they paid me to give lectures. But I, I really believed, I mean, I didn't see myself as being bribed. I was doing a job. I was educating doctors and they were educating me. So I would go to roundtables. I would go to training sessions, you know, and I would go to the training session. I would spend all day learning about their drug and the science behind it. And then I would go to shows at night and dinner. And then I would go to the, then I'd go to the spa and it's like, okay, but of course, now I, I see it with open eyes. And of course, um, you know, they, they crack down on this. Of course, this happens in many industries still. I mean, yep. medical, you know, we know that lobbying goes on and people get taken out. But um, it, it really opened my eyes to 
how doctors can be influenced even when, and people can be influenced without knowing it. Of course, isn't that what they try to do with some of the commercials on television about drugs? You know, so um, it's so important for everyone to be aware of how they can be subtly manipulated, subtly and maybe not so subtly, but they don't realize it. So now, you know, that's one of the things that I love about my life. And this is a very difficult thing for many doctors now. Most doctors, something like 78 yeah. to 80% of medical doctors, MDs, are employed by big entities, big, I'll call them the big industrial medical complexes, you know, which are big yeah. um, hospital chains and other just, some of these are venture capital things, and they demand making profits. I mean, they have to be profit-driven, and they they are not going to let doctors make their own decisions. So they have protocols, they're really cookie cutter places, and they punish doctors. Some of this has come out in the news when a doctor speaks out, they actually have to sign like, you're not allowed to say anything negative about us, or you'll be fired. I am not beholden to anyone. You know, that's, you know, I'm in my little corner in my own practice. You're actually, this is one of my exam rooms that you're, that I'm in right now because I don't have a studio. So this is an exam room and I can, I can do and say the truth. I can say what I believe, you know, it's the truth as I see it and nobody can fire me because I'm not employed by one of these big entities. And it's really kind of frightening that doctors are now held hostage for their jobs. They have families to support and they have homes to pay mortgages on. And if they say or do the wrong thing, according to their employer, they can be terminated. And this has happened. You know, you've seen that in the news now with COVID. And, and so it is frightening. And so we need to maintain an independent voice. So that's also part of my mission is that I am an independent MD voice because I can say what I believe is the truth and no one can fire me except my patients. They're the only ones that I have to serve. I have no other master. Well, I love that because, you know, as my wife and I, you know, and, and you would echo this, we have watched physicians over the years lose their health lose their life because they're held hostage in a prison of sorts. And many have called me and said, you know, there's one I'm thinking of out there in your state of California. Um, he's a cardiologist. And he, he, he called me and asked me a few questions. And I gave him what I believe to be good answers. He goes, oh, oh, okay. How, how do I communicate this information to the patient? Because I can't tell them this. I will get fired. And I'm like, what do you mean you get fired? He goes, because I have rules. I can't talk about how to prevent disease. And I was floored. Have you seen the same thing with, uh, I know you have, but have you seen it with physicians? They, they lose their health and well-being, and they're some of the most smartest, talented, valuable people on this planet. Well, there's a huge chatter going on that's about what they call doctor burnout. And now they're talking, depending on who's doing the survey, anywhere from 50 to 80% of all MDs and DOs out there are suffering from what they're labeling burnout. And burnout is a terrible mental health issue. It yep. means that they have lost all joy. They lost, they lost their purpose. And this, it's huge. The issues with their health, the doctor's health, the ones who are suffering from burnout, they're huge. They can definitely die prematurely and have all kinds of chronic diseases. 
And of course, for the patients, it's terrible. And it's sad, but I see patients every day. I'm sure everyone out there has seen or heard of this, a doctor who basically clearly doesn't want to be there in that room with them. They would like to be anywhere else but in that room. And they want to get the patient out the door as fast as possible. They're actually standing up with their hand on the doorknob. I mean, they just want out and they try to prescribe something. They try to put words in the patient's mouth. They don't want to hear what the patient has to say. And they even sort of contradict what the patient says. If the patient says, I'm not doing better, they say, yes, you are. I've actually seen that. It's like, I'm not doing well. It's like, yeah, you're doing really well. And I'll see you back in six months. It's like, what did I get out of that? Of course, it's because they really, they're not evil people. They they just are lost people now, really lost in this big enterprise where they can't find their way out. They're like in this complex maze they don't know, they feel like a rat in a maze and they cannot find their way out. They can't find their way to the cheese. I can tell you, there's no reward. They're going around in circles, hitting blind ends wherever they go. And it is a terrible, terrible thing for doctors to be in that position. And, and it's they now when they've talked about burnout. So what have some of these big health entities done, these big hospital chains and so on? They put in physician wellness programs as if it's the physician's fault. And this is like totally like blaming the victim. It's This is what has been going on. They say, doctor, you are simply not meditating enough. So we'll give you a meditation class or doctor, you know what? You really shouldn't skip lunch and do your charts. <laughs> I mean, it's like they, they, we've got to do them sometime because medical records is like a nightmare for so many doctors. And so they put the blame on the doctor and then they put in these, you know, and I'm all in favor of meditation, but it's, this is like, I say this, like if your arm is cut off in an accident, um, you would like to get a prosthetic arm. We yeah. have a prosthetic arm, you know, then you can actually do things. You can't like meditate yourself into having another arm there. I mean, no matter how well you're good at, or great you are at meditating, that arm is still going to be missing and you could get a prosthetic arm. So just get that. So you can't meditate your way out of being caught in that maze where doctors are being told what to do. They're totally bossed around. And the way they're felt is like a little cog in this big system, totally replaceable. And I actually went to a conference that I ended up in by accident. I was, it was actually in the conference ballroom next door to the one that I was supposed to be in. And I walked in it by accident because one of my problems is I have zero sense of direction. So I always go left when I should go right. So I went in, but this was destiny because I went into the wrong ballroom. But I, it was so interesting. I decided to stay in that ballroom and listen And it was all about the industry of medicine. And it was talking about setting up, you know, like these clinics in in stores and pharmacies, these type of like clinics that they would staff with like a nurse practitioner, and there would be no doctor anywhere in sight. Mm. But they would, and they all they talked about was how doctors don't matter, that you want to replace them with anybody that they the patients will see that and that that made me realize how the corporate world looked at physicians as totally replaceable. They did, there was zero sense of value of what I value called the patient doctor relationship. And we know that that's a healing relationship. And sometimes just to be heard and knowing someone cares and is going to really work with them, even though they don't have every solution to the complex medical conditions that people are now dealing with, but they have some ideas 
and they're going to work together and that there is hope. Most patients leave medical appointments and they don't really have any idea of what's going on and they certainly don't have a whole lot of hope. And that's not what anybody in the corporate world of medicine you know, that, that run these different organizations that are looking for 30% return on investment every year. And that's true, by the way, where's that money coming from? And they really could care less about who the doctors are. That's why if a doctor speaks out against a system or some policy, they are just replaced. It's like, you're out, you know, mm-hmm. we'll replace you with someone else. And they don't care about upsetting relationships. And of course, the health insurance industry is just as bad. Like the companies change health insurance and you it's not portable if you change jobs. And then it's like, you're supposed to change all your doctors because suddenly you're in a different health plan or now you're in an HMO or not in an HMO and you lose all your doctors because our society doesn't value that doctors and patients have a unique and special relationship that can continue for years and, um, and that everyone needs that. And that's your history. I mean, mm-hmm. to know that there's someone out there, it's a little bit, I mean, like a surrogate mom in a way, like yeah. everyone knows that no one knows them as long as their mom and their dad, but to have a doctor that will go through life with you and help you and be with you and t- go through the highs and lows, that almost doesn't exist anymore. And I know I'm a dinosaur because that's what I am. You know, I still do that. And that's why I'm a total outlier now in everything. That's why I love to talk to you. You know, like I'm happy to be an outlier, but I'm looking for others to bond with because it's a little lonely when you're an outlier, you know, too. But, you know, you stand up for your patients, you stand up for what they need. And it has nothing to do with what's on their insurance, you know, or um, what some other person is saying. You know, it's, it's, you're fighting all battles on every front, you know, to try to help patients. And if you, and I have enough of that, you know, trying to deal with health insurance and what they'll approve or not when you deal with bigger ticket items. But when you're in a health, you know, industrial complex and you are an employed doctor and the rules are made by someone else, they tell you what to prescribe, what to do, how long your appointment is. They tell everything like you're just playing a role they might as well put the words in your mouth because that's what they're doing. Then you have no power. Powerless people feel burnt out. And that's what doctors feel now. They're, they feel powerless. And the other problem is they are now seeing that their pharmaceutical prescriptions are not solving the problems. The complex problems that pe- people yeah. face today, you know, we talk about the pill to the ill and that's a lie. There is no pill that solves everyone's problem. There, and people are being brainwashed to thinking there is this fabulous pill. And then when they talk about side effects on the TV for pharmaceuticals, they show people romping at picnic or dancing on the beach while they're saying you could have this horrible outcome and this horrible outcome. And then they end with or death, you know, and like you're supposed to ignore all that because you're watching happy people picnicking and dancing on the beach. But when you're really in practice and you actually have to deal with patients and you know that these are side effects and they're serious and they're real and that these drugs are not really resolving the problem. At best, they're covering up symptoms. And most pharmaceuticals have no exit strategy. Like the doctors actually have no idea how and when to stop them. Mm. Of course, that worked well for big pharma. And we're seeing that especially with like PPIs, the drugs that block the production of stomach acid, which are so, and now there's so many more studies coming out, which we've known for a long time, but they're now coming out even more showing all the harmful effects of being on these drugs for so long. And they say that at least 70% of them are being inappropriately prescribed. Mm. And the doctors, even when they have the recognition that the patient may not really be on this drug, they shouldn't be on it. They don't know how to get them off. 
because no one teaches them strategies for getting people off of drugs. Patients who have autoimmune diseases who go on these immune modulators, they have no, the rheumatologists, they have no exit strategy. They never know how to get them off, which um, is like, you're going to be like, I talked about, you're going to be on this drug for the next 50 years, 60. There's no data. And there's no data to show what happens when you're on this drug for 50 years, or let alone the study went for six months, you know, and it was in a select population and they were on no other drugs. You know, they don't know the interactions. And so you can just imagine why burnout is prevalent. And um, I thought about that. If it came down to it and they, they passed a law against private practice, I'm done. I couldn't do it. It would kill me. It would kill me. I would feel like the wild bird in the cage. You know, I couldn't, it would kill me. And that's what all the poor doctors, like in their hearts, they went into medicine to truly help people. And now they're just machines working for this giant mega machine of, you know, mega business of medical industry. And it's, it's terrible. And for patients, it's just as terrible. So you get patient burnout, doctor burnout. It's, um, you know, people don't know how to get better. And um, so so that's why I come to work every day and intend to do it as long as I can, because as long as people want me to try to help them, I will be there. Well, there's always going to be someone that wants to help. We have a couple of sayings that I know you'd agree with, and I've got a two-part question for you. Um, the mystery is uncovered in the history. And the only way to really understand someone's history to get the mystery solved is to listen. And so many people come in and and I know you've seen and experienced this. They talk, you listen, you take notes, you paraphrase, you rephrase their story. What did they tell you? And then you didn't do anything, but listen to them. They say immediately, geez, I feel heard and I feel better. And that's beautiful. And you're like, what? Thinking I didn't do anything. (laughs) But actually, you did. You cared from the heart. And so I want to encourage you, and then I'll get to my question. Yes, you are an outlier. Yes, you are a trailblazer. Um, Don't ever stop because there are a few people out there that are just out there. And the people that really change the world, that make a big difference, not just in the current world, but the world to come, which we know um, there's a lot at stake right now. People like yourself, Elise, the ones out there blazing a trail, you're changing generations, not just this generation, but three, four or five generations to come. And you're going to inspire people. And to that end, I have a two-part question for you. There are many people across the world that listen to this podcast, both from physicians and from lay people. In both camps, there are distinct burnout in one, as you mentioned, physician burnout, And the other camp over here might say, I don't trust physicians at all. And and I've heard the word hate before. Mm. And, you know, it's a strong word, but I can see where they're coming from based upon, you know, even things you said. Um, So talk to both camps. What would you say to the burned out physician to perhaps encourage them? And what would you say to the disgruntled patient out here who feels um, hopeless and nowhere to go? Well, for the burnt out physicians, you have to, and this has now been just, you know, being entered into the conversation. You have to work with whoever is employing you and get the doctors together. You know, I'm not saying you should start a union, but there is always power in numbers. And it's very difficult 
when you are a single doctor employed in a big system, you have no voice. So, you know, you, you if you could get together with the medical staff, if you could put together sort of something that is rational, you know, as opposed to purely emotional and, you know, itemize, you know, and maybe take baby steps, you know, because these big organizations are not going to want to make big changes overnight, but maybe, you know, you could say, um, add even five minutes to an appointment, you know, a little bit just to allow for a patient to have a little free talking time, like you described, because if they're so pressured for time, you know, to, to see if there's a way that they can maintain their ridiculous profit levels, you know, and now they're a little bit more stressed, but they don't talk about that they get twice because they get facility fees. They have all kinds of fat built into the system, the way they bill, but to get the doctors together and in a group, you know, present that we need a little more time for our appointments and see if you can work out that patients can come back for additional appointments and maybe have something that's purely relating to the emotions, the lifestyle, because the things that are overlooked. And because if there is no bonding between the patient and the doctor, that's such a personal relationship, then they will never solve the burnout problem. So, you know, I think it's a complex problem but I think it, it can't be that like what these big structures organizations are doing, putting the blame on the doctor and then telling them to go listen to music. I'm not, that's not the solution. That is definitely a good thing to do, but it's not going to replace the missing arm and that needs to be done. And so they need to work together. I mean, they have to be a little bit like activists without, you know, they have to feel the territory because each organization is going to be a little different, but they have to sort of, go out there and not be so meek. They have to, to get together. You know, we're seeing this all over the country now, right? With Black Lives Matter. Sometimes you just have to get together. I'm not, you know, nonviolent. <laughs> you know, you have to get together with your, you know, organization and say, you know, we don't want, I mean, you don't, you don't want to take people to the point where they're going to be broken, you know? So you want to, you know, work together. So I think that, that they have to do that. The only other option is for them to leave. And I think right now that's just too great a financial risk for most any doctor to say, I'm going to leave and start my own practice from scratch. That's a tough one. So I'm not saying that that should be the answer because that most people will go broke. So we, we can't really recommend that. So they have to work together and, and take baby steps, maybe add five minutes to an appointment or allow them to have more time for doing medical records and such. And then for the patient, they're going to have to do their journey. They're going to have to go find the doctor because they may have to shop around a lot, you know, because if you find a doctor that's burnt out, you're not going to fix that doctor. That's a big job that's, that you're not as a patient going to do, be able to help that doctor. So and that's not your job as a patient. OK, so those doctors who are really already suffering from burnout, they need to have some in addition to changing the system, they need to actually have health care mental health care, physical health care for themselves as well so that they can sort of heal and get better. For the patient, you just have to not accept garbage. Don't accept it, but don't hate everyone. You know, it's, it's, that's um, yeah. not fair, you know, because right. you may have to find, like, honestly, that's what I see in my practice every day. I see patients and their story is they went to four other doctors, yeah. and they, but they didn't give up. So don't give up. Don't, don't paint every doctor with the same hate brush. Don't do that. And also the ones that you think you hate, 
uh, maybe feel sorry for them because understand that they're not evil people. They really love patients. They want to help people. They're just lost in that maze. So, but keep searching, you know, and you've got to prioritize your health. If you have to pay out of pocket, that is a worthy use of your money for the right person, the one that's going to help you to find your way back to health, vitality, and happiness. Because, you know, you can spend a ton of money in network, just paying your co-pays and deductibles. But what's the price? You know, this is like cliche now, but health is priceless. So, Mm -hmm. you know what, you have to do what you have to do. It's more important you know, now nobody can take a real vacation anyway. So look at that as a savings because you can't go to restaurants, you can't go to shows, you can't go on a vacation. So use that money for your health. And I'm seeing that myself. I actually thought, oh, now we're in the middle of COVID. You know, my practice is going to be like dead. Nobody's going to come, you know, but it's actually the opposite. People are saying, you know, I'm not spending on other things. And also I'm realizing that my health matters because this has brought to attend the attention of so many people that people with underlying health risks, and you know, they've enumerated them over and over, diabetes, obesity, hypertension, and we can't control age, but it's not just age because we know that the vast majority of old people do okay. It's the yeah. ones who have the debilitating conditions. So, and that just sort of goes along with age, but younger people who have these high risks you know, conditions. And unfortunately, some people have said it's like half the American population have these serious underlying risks. So people are suddenly looking at themselves and the people in their family that they love. And they say, wow, we all have these risk factors. And many of them, I wish more of them, but many of them are saying, I'm actually going to do something. That's the part that I find frustrating when I hear the news and they say, you can protect yourself, distance, you know, do all that distancing, wear a mask and wash your hands. And I'm thinking, why are they not saying and live a healthy lifestyle? Like, yeah. why is that not instantly part of the dialogue? But some of the patients figured that out anyway. And they're saying, I want to be healthy because this is like a big red flag. If I could get COVID, I could get other things. And also, you know, yeah. it's just made me aware of my underlying health conditions. So it's like been the opposite. I'm having so many people saying, I really want to get healthy now. And so that is a wonderful thing when that happens. So it's um, for people, do not give up. Even if you hate the first few doctors you meet, feel sorry for them. Understand they don't mean to be the way they are. They're burnt out. And um, that you just keep going until you find the right doctor. I love that. That is really, and I hope you heard that, friends. I mean, listen to that over and over again from both sides. That was really, really strong. And um, I even saw a headline today because at the time we're doing this recording, we're in the middle of this quasi, I'm doing the air quote, pandemic. But um, I had a headline today that came across and it was uh, from a physician journal uh, out of China. And the headline was this, Felice, building a healthy immune system is believed to be a treatment for COVID. No, I could I kid you not. And and I thought that was one of the dumbest headlines I've ever heard. <laughs> but you know, it's so basic and like you and us, people do want to seek their health. And I am seeing, as well as you are, an uptick in people that are taking ownership. And I think that's one of the most amazing things ever. Now, Felice, you you've written a um a really cool book. 
And, and I want people to see that I've got it on my bookshelf and I've recommended it uh, multiple times. Yeah. It's a great picture there. So ECOS. Somebody gets that book. What are they going to get? Well, this is a very highly referenced book. It has hundreds of references. So it's very, very scientific. In fact, everything I do, I, I point out uh, reference articles and research on everything that I talk about. As we know, sadly, well, not everyone knows that from scientific discovery, until clinical application can be close to like 20 years. So, well, you know, I already told you in terms of big pharma and medical devices, I was an early adapter. So I'm not waiting 20 years for science concerning women's health to actually work its way into the conventional medical world. So I am going out researching, like I said, through all the research, environmental medicine and cardiology and you know every kind of reproductive endocrinology, but all the different aspects of health that can impact on women's health. And I focused on PCOS because PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, the most common endocrine disorder of women is really the poster child of how reproduction and metabolic health are linked. And mm-hmm. it's so important because people think that you can just lop off reproduction either through chemicals that you know will create infertility, uh, hopefully reversible, right? But that's what we do when we put in certain types of you know IUDs and implantables and pills and so on. We're really changing the entire hormonal environment of a woman so that she can't reproduce. But people are not a, a recognizing that fertility is a vital sign of health in a woman and in a man too, although I'm focusing on women, that a person who naturally is not fertile in the reproductive years, there's something wrong. I mean, that's a a real clue, although our society doesn't really do anything active about that unless they're actively trying to get pregnant and then they use artificial ways to get them to get pregnant, not help them to establish health and then spontaneously get pregnant through the traditional methods. So what I wanted to do was really explain how estrogen, which is the the metabolic hormone of homeostasis, it's like the master hormone of the female body linking all the different organs. There are receptors for estrogen on all the different organs. And it's not just about reproduction, it's about total global health of the woman. And that in PCOS, because of, and I go into it, because of chemical endocrine disruptors combined with genetic tendencies, and the terrible, what we call sad standard American diet, which causes the dysbiotic gut and the leaky gut and all of these things and the immune cells of women with PCOS are more trigger happy. They release their inflammatory cytokines at a lower threshold of stimulation. And you put all this together and you have a woman with chronic low-grade inflammation and they develop insulin resistance because estrogen is so important for a glucose transporter and you get all that extra inflammation. So it's complex, but we go over it, make it very understandable and how all of this is linked together. And then how you can use lifestyle through timed restricted eating, working with the circadian rhythm, eating at the right times, sleeping Mm -hmm. at the right times, working with nutrition, feeding and nurturing the gut microbiome, reducing environmental toxin load, and working on stress, emotions, they're off kilter in women with PCOS, Mm -hmm. and putting all of it together with targeted supplements, and how and including fasting and, and all of the different 
lifestyle regimen, virtually you know, exercise, fitness, every lifestyle component that is relevant, which is all of them, and then how to use it for women with PCOS to really reestablish their health and both fertility and metabolic so that we lower insulin resistance and cardiovascular risk, emotions are going to be better. Everything is going to be better. And in I, I can't say 100% because not everything is 100%, but the vast majority of my patients who follow what I recommend will start ovulating regularly, they will restore fertility, and they will lose a significant amount of weight because their insulin goes down. And you know you can't lose weight if you have high levels of insulin because insulin promotes fat storage and production. Yeah. So we get the whole thing under control and it's just beautiful. And because they reduce their inflammation and then that reduced inflammation improves the ability of the ovaries to produce estrogen properly. They can mm -hmm. make a higher amount of estrogen. And because inflammation goes down, they produce less testosterone. So all the things that were really being aggravated in what can be a, just a mild variation of normal, okay? It's just taken out of control, put into an out of control situation by our modern society with all of the different toxins and the, the, all the circadian, too much light at night, not enough exercise, all the things that go into play in everyone. This is sort of magnified. It's like PCOS is modern lifestyle problems on steroids. So all the recommendations that I put in PCOS SOS apply to everyone. That's why I call this the poster child yeah. of how reproduction when it goes awry is really linked to all of the metabolic issues of, of a woman's body. And then I went on because some of my patients are older and they have PCOS and we want, they or they're in a, a, a rush to try to get pregnant. So I came, we came out and I write all my books with my daughter who also has PCOS. And, and that's been very instrumental because she puts me on a schedule. <laughs> she says, <laughs> you have to do this. And here's the deadline. You know, yeah. it's really hard to write your own books when you have to create your own deadlines because you can break them. But when you have somebody else that gives you a deadline, then you really, you know, you have an obligation. So uh, I would say anyone who wants to do something, if you can't really stick to it yourself, make someone else. That's all point of health coach, right? You know, the health coach is holding you accountable. My daughter holds me accountable. You have to write, you have to do this, you have to edit it, you have to, you know, give me all your notes and everything. So then I came out with this one, which is the PCOS SOS Fertility Fast Track. So this is like a how-to. This one gives you a seven-step program, my first book. But this one is a week-by-week, 12-week program. It tells you what to shop, what to buy, gives you a shopping list to, in just 12 weeks, dramatically improve your fertility. And it's, it's really very easy to follow. But it, this way, it's really step-by-step, week-by-week. So this is all the science and also the seven-step how to really do it. But this is like your day-to-day, week-by-week, exactly what to do um, to get you where you need to go if you want to make a baby. Both my wife and I took your book and pulled it apart, the, the seven steps. And we, it, it, you know, whether PCOS or not, look, mm -hmm. everybody, you know, every lady and every man would, would really benefit, does benefit from the mm -hmm. principles they're in. Right. They're, they're, it's not rocket science, but again, it's, it's stuff that we all need to understand. It's well-researched and it's going to, by the way, help your immune system. <laughs> so that interesting. 
Yeah, that is for sure. And I mean, it's so shocking that, you know, it's, it's like a revelation when somebody actually goes to print and says, your immune system is actually something we should consider when we have an, a pandemic. <laughs> it's like, how is your immune system? It's like, I mean, this is like for us 101 in terms yeah. of the most basic thing is um, having a healthy immune system. And now, of course, the immune system is so in the functional medicine world, so on the, the high radar screen, because yeah. we understand how it links every organ system and how it's so involved in virtually every single condition that's afflicting um, all of our medical society here, which in such high numbers, this underlying chronic inflammatory state, which of course is the immune system that's dysregulated. And uh, so, and that sort of, I just wanted to mention one of the things I'm doing is I have loved to speak to doctors who are into functional and integrative medicine. And that is not the largest percentage of doctors, as most people Mm. know. And so I'm trying to reach out and make a difference in the conventional 90% plus doctor world that I usually don't talk to because they're not usually my audience. They're not the ones that would come to the lectures that I, at the conferences that I would be speaking at. Mm -hmm. And so I'm speaking more at some big general conferences around the world. And I've done just in July, I spoke to uh, the menopause society uh, that's involved in India. So wow. it's, it's their conventional doctors. It's their, the Indian menopause society. And I gave a couple of lectures and I got to bring in my integrative functional approach. And then I did something similar with Romanian, a, a Romanian conference just a couple of weeks ago that was involving it was groups of internal medicine and endocrinologists. And they put on a program on menopause. And I got emails from from doctors from Romania, and it just made my day when they complimented me. And and yeah. and they, you know, so you know, although I love traveling and I can't do it now right. through the magic, you know, of the internet, mm-hmm. you know, some of these conferences are still being held, and I'm now working to try to make a difference beyond just the um, large but not large enough functional integrative world to really branch out and help the doctors that are, maybe they haven't even been exposed to it because all they saw are drug reps or they've gone to the conferences that are totally embedded and in bed with big pharma who actually helped to pay for a lot of medical conferences. And that's why they could put them on because they're, you know, they're funded by big pharma. That's what most of the medical societies are getting paid. You know, the big medical societies get money. So does the AMA. So does you know, the CDC, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, so all of these things. So, you know, and I, I'm trying to publish now in some of the high end prestigious journals. So I got started small. I got an editorial and a couple of letters to the editor published in the British medical journal heart and Mayo clinic proceedings and a couple of other high end journals. And I'm writing some review articles now for these high end journals, because I'm hoping little by little, you know, to expand my mission into speaking to doctors. And also, you know, I do speak to patients because I do my little Instagram, we can tell you, and I do other, you know, podcasts, and I love to speak to whoever is willing to listen. But um, I want to always include physicians. In fact, my books, I consider crossover, I call them crossover books, because they can be read by doctors, and they can be read by patients. And I want to do that with my education and lecturing. So I lecture to both patients, the public, 
and also to practicing healthcare professionals so mm -hmm. that hopefully, you know, I can like help people all around the world, both find the care they need and deliver the care they should be delivering. Well, you, um, you help my wife and I, you are a blessing uh, just by knowing you we're better people. So I really appreciate you. Please, how do, uh, I know you're in California, and how do people get a hold of you? How do they get connected with you? Well, I have a brick and mortar practice. So for people who want to come to see me, and I have people who do fly from far if they're not nearby. So my office is, as you mentioned, it's in Irvine, California, and it's called Integrative Medical Group of Irvine. And you can always just Google my name and you'll find me. And I have an Instagram and I'm doing Instagram live shows now. And so my Instagram is dr. Period Felice Gersh. So Dr. Period Felice Gersh. Mm -hmm. And those are my main, I mean, I have a Twitter and a Facebook, but those are like lesser, you know, because I, you know, they're kind of repeats anyway. So really the Instagram is the main vehicle because I'm doing the Instagram lives and then they get posted on YouTube. So um, that's an easy way. You see people distantly as well? Oh, thank you for reminding me. Yes, I do telemedicine. In fact, I have a great medical record system that has a HIPAA compliant telemedicine component. So we can actually, I can actually have my electronic medical records open on my computer and I can actually see the patient. The patient sees me through the cameras and it's all completely HIPAA compliant. And so I love being able to meet with patients all over the country, all over the world. What I can't do, because it's, uh, unfortunately, we have laws that prohibit me from prescribing in a state that I don't have a license in. I don't have a license in every state. But what I do if somebody needs a prescription is that right now I can get away with it a little bit because of COVID. They um, are sort of more forgiving about that because they know people are not going to get on a plane. So right now, but I can work with people's own physicians if they need a prescription. Fortunately, most of the, the patients that I can talk to, we can work with lifestyle, but if they need hormone prescriptions or other prescriptions, I can usually try to work with their own, their local doctors. And I can also write up plans that they can bring to their local doctors for the prescriptions. And if worse comes to worse, and this is what a lot of them do. They come to see me twice a year so I can actually write the prescription. I love that. You know, you are a, an amazing um, human being. And uh, this has been an absolute power-packed, information-filled, inspirational-filled time. And uh, I can't wait to do this again. And I think perhaps, again, we, we could dive right into a whole podcast show on PCOS to answer the question, can it be reversed or not? I think that would be great for everybody to see. Oh, well, I would love to anytime. It's my pleasure. And you, you know, you have been thanking me endlessly. I want to thank you profusely for giving me the opportunity to introduce myself to people who probably would not know about my existence mm -hmm. and maybe they'll find the book and maybe that will change their lives. Yeah. And I, I, want to be there for everyone and I appreciate that you allow me to spread my word and allow me to maybe achieve my mission. Amen. Mission is about teamwork. Teamwork makes the dream work. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on Healthcare's Missing Link. And as a reminder that we always do, it's very important that you subscribe, find out what's coming next, who's coming next, 
And uh, obviously as well, don't let those hidden things that you're not aware of bog you down and steal your greatest asset, that being your optimal health. Look forward to seeing you next time on Healthcare is Missing Link. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.